welcome to Talking Beijing, the disgruntled bit player's radio theater after the show show. I'm your host, Keith Marsteller, and this week we're here to discuss the behind-the-scenes happenings of DBP Radio Theater's first production, Beijing P.I. in The Case I Started After I Finished My Baking. And joining me for today's panel are the writer and director and DBP Radio Theater Executive Secretary, Joe Walk. Joe, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. Howdy. And of course, uh, we also have a DBP founding member, uh, of course, a DBP Radio Theater producer, and the star of the case I started after I finished my baking, and real life Beji. Jose Amador. Jose, please join us. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Not quite as dramatic. <laughs> not quite as dramatic as Joe's slight in, but... Well, but I not did, bad. Not bad. Did not uh, get there. And joining us off camera and in spirit, uh, our fourth producer, Megan Joplin, is, is in the house. Welcome. Uh, well, let's get started because a lot of people who have just found this randomly are probably wondering, what is DBP? What are the disgruntled bit players? How did they start? And and Joe, I'm going to go to you for that one. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, so uh, in the 90s in uh, Seattle, uh, there was a really good uh, sketch comedy scene. And um, we we did a show. This, this friend of the... Uh, okay, so... Way back, uh, there was a production of a show called Hippolytus that I did, and a bunch of the people in there uh, kind of became good friends, bonding because it was uh, this outdoor show that was you know, like performing in thunderstorms and everything, and just all these really circumstances that led us to, to bond very closely. There, some of my best friends to this day are from that, and we decided to form a theater company, and so we we put on some some shows. We did. I wrote an original. Uh, play called the immorality plays and put down a couple times and um then we realized that we didn't want to produce full-on plays because we were lazy uh and so instead we were like wait a minute we can just let's 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 do let's just take these some of these people and form a sketch comedy group um and so we reached out to other people we'd seen around town um so uh we had seen uh, jose performing a, a show called the veggie underground and nico um, and we'd seen other folks perform with a group called Kazoo, and there were other, so we just basically kind of like uh, people who we knew in the group reached out to the people and brought and formed this kind of super group. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Ken, that was just one of the bit players, and we put on a bunch of shows uh, around town uh, in the late '90s. We did five, four, four, five shows. Four and, or five shows, not oh, including, not including like you know. Little little one show pieces here and there. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, Jose, uh, when you came, did you did this total stranger just approach you and say like, "Hey, we're forming a super group. We'd love for you to be in it." How did that How did that happen? Uh, literally. So it was it was the Seattle Fringe Festival, I believe, is where it was happening, and I was part of the Kazoo show as well as Veggie Underground. And Joe and I have a mutual friend, this tall, gangly, loudmouth you know, punk rock guy, uh, Denny, Denny Mayer, um, loves getting into arguments. He owes me $20, bastard. Um, um, and yeah, we were just walking, I was just walking down the street between shows uh, when I hear my name being yelled out and it's Denny. And with Denny was Joe um, and Denny made the introductions. Um, I think uh, it was, you guys were just getting done with your French festival run of immorality plays, and we're about to do a second run right. at Theater Schmieder, and you needed a player. Yeah, we um, dropped out. Yeah, and uh, uh, that was when the question was. So the immorality plays just kind of became like this, like chemistry test, just to see if it all, you know, if we jive together and you know had fun with each other. And sure enough, yeah, you know. Um, and I think the decision to create our own offshoot sketch team came not long after that, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so you guys were a, uh, a a troupe, I guess, but not. This is pure sketch. There's this is not improv, right? This is uh, pre-written. No one is throwing out gynecologist office at the beginning of 
Okay, <laughs> no, we did. We we eschewed any Monty Python ticks and habits. Yeah. Although a lot of our sketches were set in gynecologist's office, just coincidentally. Oh, yeah. that's fair. All of them that's... named Ernest Borgnine for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh, now, Joe, you that all started in Seattle, uh, but then. Since I know you, well, I'll, I'll throw in how I'm related to this group at all, and that's because you and I went to high school together and many years ago, and college, as it turned out. And, um, and junior high. Junior high, right, because that's when I got there. Uh, it was junior high, high school and college together. And But I know that you moved to New York. Yeah. And did you bring disgruntled bit players with you to New York? In, in, in fact, I did. So... Uh, 2001, we were performing, uh, DDPCL was performing our last show at the um, Vancouver Fringe Festival, uh, which was which was a really good time. We <laughs> we took our show up there and we had we had zero idea how to market it and really how Fringe Festivals worked. And so we had this venue we performed in this, our venue was this tent, this big, it was an auction tent that had been used for like animal auctions. So it literally, it smelled like horse and cow uh, yeah 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 and it was like we had like one time we performed for three people it was not it didn't wasn't wasn't brilliant uh, no. but uh, off, no sorry go ahead, go ahead. Uh, just coming off the heels of the successful seattle run that we had had yeah. um going up there and and facing facing all of that was <laughs> aces it was awesome. But the thing is, the thing is, we, we had a great time. Even even though the show wasn't uh, a, a runaway smash hit, we <laughs> had a lot of fun, and uh, <laughs> and it created a lot of good memories, and also some some very weird memories because the festival was going on during September eleventh, two thousand one. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the we, I've told the story so many times. The show, uh, the show was called Gate Seventeen, and it was set in an airport. The whole thing was just at this one airport gate as people come in and out and flights leave and arrive. And uh, the show, uh, as written, ended with these three uh, senior uh, senior citizen terrorists blowing up the airport. Oh, wow. Which, when you have a September 11th happening, kind of, you know, you got to rework that. Uh, <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, so you went up there prior to September 11th for the show. Yeah, and then the September the September 11th happened while we were up there. Now, some of us had had were staying up there the whole time, and some of us were uh, driving back down to Seattle because they had jobs. They couldn't miss, you know, a full like ten days of their job. Um, and so, you know, when when the, uh, the Twin Towers fell, we had some. We had like half of our cast and crew were were in the states back down here in Seattle. Half of us were up there, and it was just it was it was nuts. And we kind of wow. decided, hey, this is maybe not a good idea to keep doing this. <laughs> you, know? you think you think that's not going to go over well with the audiences who just witnessed this like worst terrorist act in the history of the country? Yeah, this was before cringe comedy was a thing. So, oh, man. Maybe yeah, not. maybe not. Uh, well, so that is a little bit of, of DBP you did, and you, you kept the shows going. Uh, when you went to New York, you, you picked up some new actors in New York. Is that yeah. well in, in New York? In, in New York, there were uh, there were people that uh, had a couple of people that had been here in Seattle and had been part of uh, the proto DBP group that were production group that we had, uh, and there were people like I, that I went to high school with uh, who were. Were there, and so between them, uh, I went to high school with Shannon. Sorry, I just had someone off camera ask me about who was anyway. Uh, no, college, not 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 sorry, college, not high school. Yes, okay, a lot of a lot of college, uh, a lot of college friends make it into DBP Radio Theater, as we'll discuss in a few moments. Yeah, so, uh, so there you go. we we did we did a bunch yeah. of shows in New York, DBP New York, we did. Shows in the, the Fringe Festival, the New York Fringe Festival. We did shows at Caroline's and shows at uh, Upright Citizens Brigade uh, and uh, the, you know, little fringe venues in town. We did a, a bunch of stuff there uh, until <laughs> until um, 
Yeah, until we broke up. We, oh, we, you broke up. We broke Creative up. differences. <laughs> well, we don't need to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, well, then, how long? How long did uh, DBP New York last? Because DBP Seattle lasted for one show after Gate Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that show. Oh, um, we teamed up with uh, uh, Scott O'Moore, who is now kind of a, uh, becoming known as a science fiction writer. Um, uh, we teamed up with him to do a show called Fawn, uh, probably a pretty angry response to um, just culture and society after September 11th. So it went over like gangbusters. <laughs> Uh, I can't tell if you're serious or not. It didn't. Oh, <laughs> did it go poorly? Well, it, it only had the uh, the one weekend's run at uh, Sketchfest in Seattle that year. So 2002, yeah, 2002 Sketchfest. Um, and no, it was just it was just an angry nerve, an exposed angry nerve uh, yeah. for for about 60 minutes. So there were some there were some caustic funny bits in it, but there was a lot of people going like, "Man, that was angry." Jeez. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> oh, but it so, only lasted the one. How? So, Joe, how the New York DBP? How long did that we, that we, one? We 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 started doing stuff in in two thousand two, and then we did stuff probably through two thousand five. So over the course of those three years, we put on a number of a number of shows. So, uh, so tell me, what was the impetus to bring back, at least under the DBP banner, uh, for to do these projects as DBP Radio Theater? What got you both doing it and using that name again? Well, when we came back, when we came, we moved back uh, to Seattle in 2016, and one in one of my big things when we moved back was intending to start producing again because i missed it and i like i like i get set creative creative satisfaction out of, out of producing stuff like this yeah so we did um <laughs> we were, uh we we did a uh they, they had the 20 25th anniversary 20 I think so yeah 25th anniversary of seattle sketch fest uh in 2019 and we got uh, a group together and, and did just kind of like a, a best of. We and wrote a little few new things and did a show at the Sketch Fest. And, and I, we had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if the audience had a good time, but who cares, really? As long as we're having a good time. <laughs> Some of them did. Some of them did. Um, yeah, and then we, were, we, we felt pretty good about it. And so then we decided... Uh, or I decided that I wanted to produce um, stuff over the course of 2020, and we that we in February, late February 2020, we did uh, a remount of or a, a new production of Night of Shitty Theater, which was the Night of Shitty Theater was a, a thing we did <laughs> periodically as a fundraiser in the 90s here, which was basically just uh, these bad like scenes from really really bad plays <laughs> stage readings uh and we, we we got a group of people together and did that and that went really well and i had in mind to do um to do you know several of those in 2020 and of course that's and you just got it started and essentially the and the pandemic the, the lockdowns i mean and seattle was one of the epicenters, uh, the, the main primary vectors of the way this virus got into this country, right? Uh, the, one of the very first explosions of it was in like a rest, a nursing home in your area, I think, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Good time. Um, so now you and all of your friends in theater are sitting at home. The entire industry is shut down nationwide, worldwide, essentially. Yeah. Anything entertainment related is gone, and so you're like, "Well, my wife was like, you should do, you know, maybe you could do something as, you know, in, in podcast form." And since uh, Keith, you and I had talked about uh, getting a a podcast project of some sort going, I right. was like, "Oh, why don't we do that? Why don't we make that the podcast that we work?" Yeah, and uh, it's not a traditional like let's have a few people sit around and talk like this podcast is in fact doing uh you know but it is it's a different kind of podcast yeah it's, it's like that old time radio 
theater. At least that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now one more for you, Joe, before I dig in on Jose a little bit here. And that is, um, so we're here to talk, talk Beijing. So yeah. we got uh, a basic idea of, of how we started this, how you guys started this up. And I jumped on board to do sound production. For those of you wondering, like, what is this guy even doing here? I'm the guy throwing the sound effects in there and, and editing things. But uh, the question I have is, how did... I now know how you met Jose. How did he end up being a noir detective in your mind? How did this, how did this happen? Um, well, Jose and I share... Uh, we, we were born uh, uh, just a couple days apart, two days apart. Um, and so we kind of have this birthday connection going way back. And uh, a number of years ago, yeah, a number of years ago, I decided that a good birthday present would be to write a story featuring uh, Jose. And so um, I, 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 I just got the idea to uh, make him a, a private detective. And so I have every year since then, and this is going back to what, 2000. Seven, maybe. Uh, a long time. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it was that long after, after you all moved to New York that that started happening. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. I, I would. I would have to take a look at the exact dates. But anyway, so I've written like a whole bunch of just short stories, which are meant to be chapters in longer, longer books, uh, where <laughs> Jose is a private detective. Uh, you know, I believe your uh, our fourth producer Megan, who also happens to be married to you, uh, made a collection of those stories, which I have sitting right here over my shoulder, and I'm going to show off the cover art of that. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, but let me ask you, Jose, uh, does it piss you off that your friend is calling you beigey? I mean, that seems a little unpolitically politically incorrect. I mean, come on, what's going on? Or is that is that a name that you came up with? Where does it's that a, come from? It's the be it's the it's the seed of an ongoing feud between Joe and I. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no, the name the name beigey stretches back. Um, to around the time that I met Joe, actually, come to think of it, uh, completely on a separate track, I have uh, a couple of friends, um, Patty and uh, Greg Delaney, um, old friends of mine. And we are, were the quality of friends that we just, we'd attack each other with everything, you know? Um, and <laughs> everything was fair game, believed in the blazing saddles rules of comedy, you know, nothing, you know? <laughs> So right, right. throwing throwing um, epithets, epithets is that the word or slurs? Yeah, that's a word. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were throwing those around. And I kept calling them whitey because they were, well, and I'm telling you, paper white. Um, like this this kind of whiteness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and they were like they couldn't come back at me. It was like, what are you? You know, you, you can't call you blacky. That doesn't work. We can't call you this. So what, what is the thing? And Patty said something. You're just beige. And uh, and I was like, yeah, beigey is what Greg said. And that kind of started the whole um, that be- nicknames that I've adopted. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say that became kind of like a persona or like a, a handle. An online uh, yeah. handle for you, basically. Because when I met you virtually, I, it was already like the beige one. And I was at like, Gmail. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I can, I'll roll with that. If he identifies as beige, <laughs> so be it. And little did I know that there's actually a whole adopting beige as a, as a skin tone movement out there. There's a whole there? of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I was in at the ground level. So when I got my Gmail address, you know, like Jose Amador was booked and I was like 85,000 others. Like, yeah, I can't do that. Is the beige one available? Yes, the beige one is available. Let's, let's go ahead and take that. Let's take it. Okay. Uh, and I've just kind of been running with it ever since. Uh, you know, I, I go back and forth on it. I change my mind every once in a while. I was like, ah, this is kind of lame, but it's well, still here. Uh- so now Joe has written you and portrayed you as this kind of like chain smoking, hard drinking, womanizing. I mean, it's the, it's the it's the noir detective template. He's not necessarily specifically going after you, but I guess my question is, 
What do you have in common with the character Beji P.I.? Do you feel uh, like when you think about being him, uh, is there a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram, or are you guys separate circles there? What do you? Well, okay, so let's 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 uh, you define him as womanizing and hard smoking. So you know, at the time, I, I did I used to smoke a pack a day, so that kind of fits in there. Um, <laughs> But the whole womanizing and uh, you know and drinking et cetera and so forth. The thing is, is that Joe's beige PI is not successful at these things. So he's a he's a hard drinking guy, but he ends up throwing it up more often than not. He tries to be a womanizer, but ends up throwing. So in that sense, in these characteristics, I, the, the Venn diagram is the circle. <laughs> I, I if he was a pot smoking detective then that would be, be a different story then yeah be right on right on brand <laughs> yeah uh but yeah i uh the smoking i've left i've long since uh left behind thankfully uh the drinking doesn't sit with me all that well but i'm a terrible womanizer i'm just it's <laughs> now what about what about a couple of the other things though uh in the case i started after i finished my baking the beige pi gets lets himself he's too nice of a guy right he lets himself get involved and he ends up ha- trying to help all these other people uh it's it's kind of his journey toward being a better person i guess right. uh is this does that ring true with you at, at all or is that are you just a total uh, uh, uh me personally i'm a total pushover yeah <laughs> uh, I, I don't think i, I don't think i would have uh, questioned it for a second to to help these these to help uh, johnny and skipper <laughs> right Right. I would have regretted it. I would have been bitching every single step of the way. Um, that fits under PG-13, right? Bitching? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that, that works. That'll uh, work. Cool. Um, uh, complaining about it the entire time. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's good to know. Good to know. Uh, now, Joe, this one, a case I started after I finished my baking... Uh, was this? I, I don't believe that this was written originally for DBP Radio Theater, right? Uh, where did this come from? Um, well, I've written a lot of screenplays over the years, and um, uh, all of them produced successfully. <laughs> uh, and, and so, Jose and I, a long time ago, we, we both have an enthusiasm for noir fiction, um, and we decided to collaborate on screenplay. And we came up with a story together. And then Jose, uh, because Jose is one of the busiest people on the planet, typically, he's got like 18 different uh, projects going at any one time. Um, right, right. He, he dropped out to, to work on something else. And I just wrote this, this screenplay, uh, which originally was not a beige story. It was about a detective named Jake Ruger. Um, and then uh, that sat along, uh, sat, sat in the drawer for a long time. And then I... Uh, decided when, when we came up with this project, I'm like, oh, well, I've got this screenplay that I can adapt. Okay, and- so that's why this was our first project. You kind of had something in the chamber there, and you're like, yeah. ah, if I just take this and make it beigey and go yeah. back to being beigey with this thing and then, uh, you know, sand off some of the TV ed- or movie edges and make them more audible which has been a challenge for us today. <laughs> One of the things for those of you who listened to the to the show uh, to you know to the case uh we 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 sometimes we make a scene and then we listen back to it and then we're like can you tell what was going on in that scene Joe? Uh like maybe we have to have somebody talk about what's happening like we we're, we're learning how to make radio theater, right? Like that, that's that's one really good thing about the about this type of story is because that you it, it's a you know a narration like the detective narrating is part of the genre you know it's a it's a staple of the genre and so it kind of adapts nicely and we can have Beijing kind of pulling the listener in on what's going on. Yeah, that definitely helped us. Uh, there were a couple of action sequences. <laughs> Uh, especially like kind of the big one near the end where it's like, okay, there's like a whip cracking, there's stuff hitting the ground. Like, you know, we have to do a couple of re-records of somebody saying, I'll throw you the gun or, or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> so that the person listening isn't just like, who's, who just got shot? I'm not sure who got shot. Uh, but, but overall, it was a lot of fun uh, piecing together a lot of these, a lot of these kind of sound portraits 
Uh, and I just loved working, Jose, with your voice and and those and doing those all those voiceovers and and I, did you have to go through any kind of a ritual or anything to to become beige? Do you are you putting on a voice a little bit or is it just is that just straight how you talk? Uh, oh man, it's a, it's a, it's a, probably a mix of all of the above. Uh, in the process of recording the the dialogue with this one, um, kind of developed. It, like Beige had always been this idea between Joe and I, and it's, especially from Joe's uh, written bits. It's like okay, we kind of have this idea, right? But so, you had never like performed never. as Beige before in a yeah. sketch, or even even in a sketch, right? Like yeah, right, right, right. Okay. So part of part of this process was like developing. Okay, so what is Beige all about? What is Beige PI all about? Um, and deciding uh, with a number of questions for Joe. Um, especially towards the end, as we finally like buckled down and started recording together, uh, of uh, identifying that there is uh, Beji in the real world, you know, his interactions with other people. Then there's Beji in his head, and then there's Beji who who uh, who is the Dashiell Hammett fan, who is the the genre freak uh, in this position, and so. Um, the narration goes back and forth uh, between like, this is real world Jose, this is or Beige, this is uh, Dashiell Hammett Beige, and then there's this, you know, uh, liminal space, hey, look at that, <laughs> liminal space Beige, uh, that, that kind of resides in there as well. So that was, that was all created during this recording process. Well, that's, uh, that's really cool to hear. And I also wondered, because uh, Jose, I know in addition to DBP and some sketch stuff, I know you've also been an actor and a director of a lot of uh, stage theater, uh, plays right. and whatnot, right? And in this genre of what we're doing, there's no feedback. You're talking into a microphone. There's no actor there on the other side. Right. And I wonder if, if, you, if you talk about maybe some of, if that was challenging or if you just thought, oh, that's easy. Uh, uh, yeah, because no, I'm no, not an actor, so I don't know. I just I mean, it was easy for me to do the the two second bit parts, like uh, last train for Burgerville leaving in five minutes. Like I don't care if there's no one acting back at me for that, you know. Like, but tell me, how was it for you? Uh, let's. I'm trying to come up with a, a short, succinct answer. <laughs> um, because thankfully Joe was, you know, I could ask Joe, like, hey, Joe, what, how is this coming across? Is this working? Um, but, uh, and once we got into the studio at the same time to record it, that process really was smoothed out. Uh, but left to my own devices, you know, part of doing all of those different hats is becoming a perfectionist. And the perfectionist is the last person you want in the recording studio by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> by yourself it's just a terrible idea uh, so i would have a lot of fun in recording these things and then just like okay which one uh and i i always and then you've I got like a 40 minute file of takes right and then joe's yeah. like i've got to now joe's got to listen to all 40 minutes of those takes and then tell me and like me yeah. me be who i am i'm like i can't send them 40 minutes of just on raw uncut what, what the hell? No. So then I would spend the time to edit that down to a presentable few takes. Yes. <laughs> way more time. Way more time than necessary. Yeah. Um, but yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully through this process, uh, because I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, I think we're going to have another beige adventure in the a few productions down the line or a couple productions. Hopefully learning from that... Uh, We'll be able to do it better this the next time, right? Like uh, ideally, yeah. figure out what you need more of or less of, or or just work with Joe. While or would it does it help to have somebody like when you and Joe were recording? Were you reading lines back to him, Joe? How did the how did the recording sessions go? Were um, you like reading his opposite lines for him? Like uh, I, you know I, what I, mean? I, I don't even remember because it, the, the recording is just Jose. I love listening to the recording because it's it's this conversation that Jose and I are having. But I'm only hearing him, uh, and it, it's and, and like. Oh, you only recorded his end. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he recorded him uh, his, his, uh, on on his end, so you can't hear me at all when uh, on that stuff. But you can hear his responses. 
especially when we when we crack up, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, oh yeah, I was listening to a lot of those, you know, because I'm doing the production. I'm pulling out. Get the? Can you get those four seconds when he says these few words? And I'm like, okay. And you're spooling through the the audio, and then you just hear the most ridiculous things coming out of whatever you guys were talking about. You just hear him saying something ridiculous, and yeah, that was a lot of fun for me too. But certainly a lot of work for you to, to sort through after you guys have a half hour conversation and you're. Well, I mean, the, you yeah. know, the, I'm, I'm like, it's the same, like with all the actors, uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a lot because there's a lot of, there's a lot of files that we're going through to find the right takes. Right. But it's, right. Also, it's also really fun because it's, you know, it's, uh, especially over the, the course of this pandemic, I haven't gotten to hang out with folks at all. And so listening, right. to, listening to these people, this, you know, uh, Say you know, say the dialogue has been a lot of fun because it's kind of like I'm hanging out. It is. It's it's tough uh, though, right? Uh, to direct something like this, where you're like, here's your lines. We do a read through. Uh, mm-hmm. The process for those at home that don't know this, we have a big Zoom read through of the whole script one day, and then mm-hmm. it's like, all right, send your files to this Google Drive, and here's a naming convention for your files, and then yeah. we have files. But sometimes it's like not, you know, sometimes somebody reads it angry, but you wrote it to not be angry or something. So then, yeah, you, t- well, you want to talk about the challenges there. There's obviously, I think I just did, but. Because, because we've, we've cast actors that we like and trust, um, most of the time, if they bring something to it that's not what I intended, it's better. Yeah. Um, you know, and and if it, in, on the rare occasions where something just doesn't work with with what, like, you know, if I've got four people in a scene and three of them are doing it one way and one's doing it another way and it doesn't mesh, then we just you know, say, hey, uh, I need to re-record this and here's what I want you to have in mind when you're doing it. Right. You know, so we've had, we've had a few instances where we had to do that, but not, not most part, you know, when people, whatever people are bringing to it, they're bringing something better. It's, uh, it's so crazy to think about that if you were just doing this, if Jose, you were, you were directing this, on stage, you'd have those four actors standing there. The one would probably never get off key like that because you would just instant feedback from right. what's going on, right? right. Uh, <laughs> have you ever, now, Jose? I, this is kind of getting out off topic, but I know you did a really crazy production recently, like around uh, Christmas time, I think, right? Right, right. Can you talk about that for a second? Because that's another weird pandemic production. I just wanted to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we did, um, there's a local company that does, um, it's a wonderful life on a yearly basis. Uh, it's a process called theater anonymous where they cast an entire production. They, so they cast everybody in the parts in it's a wonderful life, but then the director works with each individual actor one-on-one so that the actor does not know who else is in the cast until opening night. (laughs) <laughs> and opening night happened and it only gets performed once. So on that night everybody's in the audience. The you know the 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 MC introduces the show, they do a spiel, then they basically set up the loft ball. And the first time everybody's introduced to um uh Bailey, um George. George George Bailey, thank you. Yeah. Um is when he when George Bailey stands up and enter stage from the audience and the, so the play begins uh, a couple of years ago actually our fellow castmate um rhonda Soikowski played georgia bailey um was phenomenal in that role uh so this last so for the pandemic they wanted to do it but they couldn't do it on stage for obvious reasons we couldn't get people in the same room so they decided to do it uh via zoom um <laughs> And we did that. Uh, I ended up being the head director in that. I had a team of four or five ancillary directors who were there to kind of help us out. To you know, it's like okay, we can't work with three people at the same time. Right. You guys take these two. I work with this person. Uh, so we did that over the month of November into December, and basically um, did theater anonymous style uh it's a wonderful life via zoom using uh this program that we're using right now for this podcast oh Streamyard, uh, yeah yeah we use Streamyard to to put that thing together 
That's so um, crazy, man. That, that, is, that is kind of a similar uh, where you're kind of acting and you don't know. It's like jumping and you don't know who's going to catch you, right? Like the right. same thing is happening. I send my lines off to, well, me, and who knows what I'm going to do with them. But you send them out there and you hope. Right. And I'm I, maybe I'm biased, but I listen to it and it sounds like they were – it sounds like it's really happening. Like it's a good mind trick that we play yeah. on the audience there. And – uh yeah, and for the large, for the most part, it was with that show. Um, so basically, the actors have this box that they can control and play with. And the directing job was like you know, playing with each individual actor. It's like, okay, okay, so this time you're going to hand the piece of paper this way. Oh, man. And then you trust that the person on the other side of that wall is going to do the opposite. So that <laughs> we have a, a couple of times where paper is handed around. We have a couple of times where an actor uh, plays with the edge of their space. Is it this way? No, no, this way. Yeah, we, we play with the edge of their space while the person on the corresponding side is up against it. You know, yeah. oh, interacting man. that way. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. Uh, the the footage is still out there. I'm hoping that come this Christmas it'll be trotted around. It'll be back in person again. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, DBP Radio Theater is going to stay not in person as far as I know. We're going to stay virtual. Uh, And we've got a great cast other than Jose, who's on with us. And Joe is a cast member also. Joe does a lot of uh, great voice work on these these bits. But Joe, can you talk about... Okay, voice work. (laughs) Uh, and I do all the kind of I sweep up under uh, the rug of all the the niblets that are left uh, that we need somebody to say this and I just do it right so but Joe can we talk about the cast a little bit let's talk about some of these fine actors that you got uh, well you know uh, this it's really kind of a combination of uh, Seattle folks that I uh, have worked with and loved uh, and uh, folks from from uh, that, are, that are in New York or elsewhere that I went to, to college with and just kind of cast the net and uh, got all some of the, my favorite people to work with. So we've got... Um, uh, yeah, if I, if I run down some of the characters that were in this thing, uh, like Catherine Ritzy, for instance. Catherine Ritzy. All right. It looks like I found my private dick. <laughs> the Dame in <laughs> Trouble. Right. Yeah, who who uh, is a Kent State... Alum, uh, we did we did a number of shows together uh, in, in Kent. Uh, she's a professional actress living in Atlanta, and she is amazing. Yeah, she's she's good. She also uh, played the bit role of Sister Excrucia, <laughs> which with your kids getting slapped by Sister Excrucia, that was some of my favorite production. Uh, Just parts. A, a, a side note: uh, my yeah. young really does not like that scene. <laughs> And oh, he doesn't he like it. It feels awful that uh, his character got cloaked with cattle prod. It comes up frequently. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's right. The cattle prod goes to the young. Right. It's like, uh, yeah, your oldest gets slapped, right, and then yes. your youngest gets cattle prodded. Yes. Yeah. Not that was not. I didn't write that out of any kind of feeling that I, that I would like to do that in any yeah. way. It's not what? aspirational. Well, we're going to come back to the cast in just a second. I just realized I need to ask Jose, uh, how was your first radio theater love scene that you had with Kathleen Hogan, a.k.a. Catherine Ritzy? How did, how did you – were you uncomfortable with that, or did you did Joe help you through that? <laughs> no, no. We had that... an coordinator. <laughs> what was that, Joe? We had an intimacy coordinator for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> I just I recorded the things and I just waited to see what was going to come back. When the sax music started going, I knew I was in some special territory. Uh, I need a mess. <laughs> it kept the awkward level out of the way for the recording part, but then afterwards, it's like, well, this, wow. I was on like a free Dr. Pepper caffeine 3 a.m. bender uh, that night, and I'm like throwing Mr. Mr. Broken Wings under it for some reason. I've got like train whistles and like bed springs and, and all the and a jackhammer. And I send it to Joe just expecting to hear like, no, no, just, just stop. Baby, don't understand why we can't just hold on to each other's hands. 
because I, I, he was trying to keep, even though we, it was occurring in today's uh, timeline, I guess, um, trying to keep it kind of a timeless or a more genre time feel. And an 80s song by Mr. Mister kind of breaks that genre wall, but he allowed it to stay in. <laughs> too good. Uh, yeah, it was the piece that was the songs. <laughs> oh, but anyway, getting back to our cast, Joe, we had uh, Krusty McCann. Krusty McCann as uh, Evan Mosier. You need to think of it more as chipping away with an ice pick. That's boxing. Uh, who was part of DVP back in the day and has done uh, lots of work in various capacities around town. Yeah, he's an awesome audio producer as well. Uh, if if he, he had is. the time to work on this, he would easily outstrip my talents in audio production. He's really good. Uh, uh, I would I would point out uh, is uh, Krusty and also uh, Cutler the Butler. Yes, Cutler. And uh, for those of you who have listened ahead to our second production, he is also Bjorn Bjornson in the smash hit Mega Ball. No, that's him. Same yeah. guy. <laughs> um, well, uh, he, he also, I, I would point out, he also uh, uh, wrote the DDP Radio Theater theme. The theme, right? Wrote yeah. And, and, and orchestrated and created, and it's, that's, that's all him. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. He's a man of many talents. He is. Uh, our, it's a small but powerful part, uh, the fight announcer <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in the Marzetti boxing match uh, with, I think it's Calamari. Yeah, Pete Calamari. Pete Calamari, who is uh, kind of a character who exists off, off camera or off, off yeah. mic. But uh, please talk about first that, that actor and that scene, because that's one of my favorites in the whole thing. So that's, that's, that's the brilliant uh, Corey Neely. Marzetti has nowhere to go. Calamari is hitting him as hard as you hit your son when he spills milk on the carpet. Uh, who is a sketch guy from Seattle from way back. And he, um, we, <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we were doing sketch shows concurrently with, with, with his uh, group. Uh, and uh, then we worked on projects together. We, he did one of our um, Night of Shitty Theater uh, shows. And he... Uh, he produced a <laughs> he produced a, a, a an adaptation of Choose Your Own Adventure uh, that I did with him, and just one of my favorite uh, sketch guys to work with. He's so good in everything he does. And yeah, that- I wrote I wrote this this uh, fight announcer scene uh, for you know, like with him in mind, knowing exactly just how he would crush it and then he did it's, and like you didn't have to give him that uh any direction on like you just said here's your lines and he just destroyed yeah. it no yeah i mean at the, at the re- when we did the read through the zoom read through he yeah. he did exactly uh exactly but because yeah. that that scene is is the the most sound effects so far in any of it because we're it, it takes place in beige's office he turns on the radio, so we have all the Beijing office sound universe going in that kind of auditory space. We have Beijing doing voiceovers. We got Beijing lighting cigarettes and drinking in the foreground, and then he turns on this, and then we have the entire radio world inside the radio world where he, where they have this fight announcer, and then behind him you've got a boxing match going on and a crowd behind that. And trying to, but when Wait. I heard his call, I was like, I'm going to spend six or seven hours like making this <laughs> stupid two minute scene. But it was totally worth it. It was totally worth it. If I, you know, I gave it my best shot and it came out hopefully somewhere around where you pictured it. That's, uh, that's got to be difficult. Writing something and trying to get it back, uh, it gets brought back to you. And I don't know if it ever sounds anything like what you hoped or pictured. But yeah. that scene, I bet, did because that scene was awesome. It, it, it absolutely did, and <laughs> and you know, I mean, actually, a lot of the stuff that that I that I wrote uh, came out sounding pretty much exactly how I wanted it. It's it's been really really nice. Oh, that's awesome! That's good to hear. You know, uh, tell me about Skipper Ritzy. So uh, Skipper Ritzy is the absolutely brilliant Ron Sikowski. We know that, Mr. Amador. We're not naive. There's not enough toilet paper here to last us forever. Um, 
who uh, is a Seattle uh, actor and, and director and teacher and just all around brilliant theater person. And um, who I actually worked with in uh, nursing homes back in the 90s is how I know. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and she, so she is Skipper Ritzy. She's also uh, the head, nur head nun of the orphanage. She's also uh, the, the maid. Uh, she's also a serial waitress. Uh, and what's great, what's, what's great about that is that you really would have to listen very, very, very carefully to tell that that's the same person because she just really inhabits each of these characters. She, yeah, uh, she does long. too. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, McDonald, the head of the Canadian, uh, mafia. Tell me about him. I, I know this person. Yeah, this is, this is Mr. Christopher Seiler. We need to do something about that sauce, eh? I'm sorry for deceiving you, Mr. Amador. My crew and I are from Ontario. Uh, who is one of my absolute best friends from college. Uh, we lived together for two years in college. Uh, and he is just one of my favorite people in the world to work with. He's actually, he's actually, uh, you wouldn't know it from my Lang dialogue, but he is uh, actually a, a very accomplished Shakespearean actor. <laughs> wow talk about taking very just you're using just like this much this much of his pinky nail talent absolutely uh so he just probably like grabs his iphone and just dashes off these lines for like two seconds and i'm assuming yeah, yeah. but he does it you know effortlessly his uh even a nice you know little canadian accent to boot yeah 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 and, and the, the the fact that he was able to do a canadian doing an italian accent i thought was was some really solid work <laughs> uh now his uh his partner in crime for life uh is is daisy marzetti right in real life that is that that is alisa ledger but i need you to know that if anything you do causes johnny to come to any harm i will take this cereal bowl and shove it so far up your ass You'll be wearing it as a necklace. She is uh, uh, a an, also a Kent State grad. Um, wasn't there at the same time as us, but she's a Kent State grad. And uh, yeah, she is a, a musical theater uh, background. She has she's a very accomplished uh, musical improviser, as a matter of fact. Oh wow! Uh, just her work in New York, and she's just brilliant. Um, yeah, and and so we needed uh, <laughs> we needed uh, someone to play the the tough orphan daisy and there she was it was great <laughs> and i think uh now uh, daisy and beigey well i guess they don't have a love scene together right but you guys shared a lot of scenes together for and that's not someone you've ever met in real life jose right right <laughs> uh have you met any of the uh you uh, all the, the folks from seattle you know i guess have you met right. uh chris seiler aka mcdonald before you haven't met or and no. uh okay yeah, I, I guess unless they come to Seattle, you're not going to run into them uh, uh, by accident. Or, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, unless I run into them in their town, wherever they might be, which <laughs> would be a, that would be a fun reality series. So I'll just travel throughout the country, maybe <laughs> meeting somebody. On the Travel Channel, and uh, is uh, Johnny Marzetti. Johnny Marzetti is Trevor uh, Brown. I'm a good fighter, Mr. Amador, but I'm not a great one. I'm never going to win a belt. This may be my only chance to get my hands on that kind of money. Who is uh, someone who I haven't known very uh, very long. My God, he is so funny. We did, um, I did, uh, there was a, a show, a, a theater called The Pocket Theater, and they produced a thing called Copilot, which was um, uh, more experienced sketch comics, working with less experienced sketch comics to come together and produce uh, like three short sketches for a show. And he was not, he was not in, in my sketch, but uh, he was in that same show. And he did, he did a sketch, he did a sketch where he played a jazz musician who plays a saxophone and farts at the same time. And it was just one of the most hilarious sketch performances I've ever seen. And uh, so we, we needed Johnny for this, and I was like, "Oh my God, I, I got to see if this guy will work with us." And, and he, I was so fortunate that he that he did. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and he he's also uh, 
plays a, a, a good size part in Mega Balls. Uh, he plays uh, our Chupacabra, Ned. Ned. And, yeah. And he's really good in that. Yeah. He's so good in that. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll uh, use his, yeah. utilize his talents in the future. But before yeah. we get any further away, this leads me, and now you just mentioned a saxophonist who was also farting. And that leads me to ask possibly the most important question of the interview, which is about your groundbreaking or windbreaking use of farting in theater. Uh, it's, it's, it's heard in, in the Beiji PI story here at least, I think at least twice, right? Uh, does everyone, does every character you've ever written who dies pass wind as their body deflates? Let's talk about it. <laughs> um, here's the thing is, uh, I, I did, I did include it in, in, in this one. When Arthur Ritzy dies at the end, I did, I did include that he, he parts. Uh, uh, <laughs> Arthur Ritzy the third died not long afterwards. Uh, and um, and then I think I think there's a another another character where you just kind of put that in there. Oh, and did I do that? <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't necessarily my choice, and um, and my wife is very uh, disdainful of um, of that entire thing. Now, uh, now Jose, let me hear your uh, thoughts on this because you know you talk into a microphone, and then you just hear the release of Beiji P.I. along with everyone else. Right. Uh, how, how did you feel about how the farting came out in that uh, when, I, when, when Arthur Ritzy III died? Uh, and first reaction is, uh, <laughs> oh, that's happening. Uh, <laughs> second reaction is, well, well, that would be true to life. Actually, <laughs> true to life would be something else coming along with the gas. Uh, <laughs> so on, on that level, I kind of was like, oh, okay, all right. Um, we kind of winged it up, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but with, with with those things, I pretty much just leave it up to Joe. Joe Joe is the arbiter. And then you know, knowing that he has a sensor that he needs to get through as well. He has so to get if it by. passes, yeah. Yeah, okay. If it and passes, if you'll pardon the pun, ah. the, the sensor. That's uh, so good. Yeah, I don't. I don't pardon that one. And Joe, who's Arthur Ritzy the third? Uh, that would be my dad. Skipper is out of the boxer's reach. As far as I'm concerned, this matter is closed. Uh, you can fuck off now, Mister Amador. Well, that's right, uh, Dave Wong. Yeah, who is uh, uh, an actor from way back. He's been doing theater since 1975. I was going to say, I've known you getting close to 40 years, and he's been acting since I knew you back then. And even before that. Yeah. yeah. How did he like passing gas? <laughs> I, I don't think he actually did. I think that was all uh, in post. <laughs> oh, I mean, did he like that his character... <laughs> Pass gas, yeah. You no, know, oddly enough, it hasn't come up. Do you know <laughs> if your parents were able to download the podcast to listen to it? <laughs> <laughs> they were. It took. Oh, it took some doing. Okay. It, it took a while for uh, me to get them to actually do it. A lot of like, hey, have you listened? Hey, have you listened? Hey, yeah. have you listened? And yeah. they're like, how do we? How do we do that? Uh, we did have some issues getting the recordings in uh, from there, but we got it worked out and we got them in there. You know, there was a lot of sound processing to do <laughs> to get it to get it working. Well, well, I think it was ultimately worth it because I love your parents, first of all, and your dad, I think, really is a good actor. And so it, I was like, we're going to squeeze whatever frequencies out that we have to to get this guy in this show. You got to keep in mind, he is a, he's very much a stage actor, and so projecting comes naturally to him. And so if you have a microphone near an inch face, from your face and you project out of the water, that's what we had. It wasn't. Like that his equipment was faulty. I think it was that exactly the, the thing you're saying is we had him right inside the mic and it just overloads it. And you don't hear that when you're recording. You know, you don't get the feedback as you're recording it. So you just send it off. Uh, but yeah, I may, I'm probably forgetting a cast member or two because I'm kind of doing these from memory. But uh, I don't think you've mentioned Michael Anderson. Yet. You don't shout at me. 
You don't raise your voice to me, Mr. Amador. It is not polite. Oh my god, of course, Marvin Gormsch. Marvin Gormsch. Who, uh, and, and of course the, the thug, is thug number one or something? Now, here's the thing is... Let's talk about Thug Number One for a second. Go ahead. One, his work as Thug Number One was so brilliant that I made the decision that every single production we have has to have that same line. So you will hear, if you listen carefully, in Mega Balls and in every other upcoming production, you hear uh, someone saying, Get in there, you. Right, and it is not reusing the same sound. We no, make him reread that line. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He has to react that line because, you know, in the next one, he's a prison guard in, in right. Mega Balls. He's not a thug. So that changes the, the texture of it just a little bit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Get in there. Get in there. You. Michael is just one of the, he's one of the, just the best actors, actors I've ever worked with. Uh, you know, he's, he's just a, a brilliant uh, theater guy. Um, and, uh, so it's always fun hearing, hearing what he does with this. And, um, well, I know for, I know from listening to these, these files as they come in, some folks take and, and thank you to all of the actors for doing it, but they, you know, they pretty much know what they're going to do and they drop a take or two in there and they send it off and we're gleeful to get it. Mm-hmm. Michael sits there and grinds and grinds until he inhabits the psychotic mind of Marvin Gormsch. Like he, see, he lets Gormsch seep into him, and like you can, he oozing Gormsch by the time this thing is done. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm imagining he, he's probably very Daniel Day Lewis in this process. He was probably <laughs> Marvin Gormsch for days around the house uh, before recording. Um, right. But uh, the, the the great thing is getting getting a file from Michael, and he has the same, you know, three word line about you know eighteen times, and it's just different subtle, just shading. a little shading, right? Yeah, and it's so it's so great. It's a pleasure. Very specific shading too. That was the thing that impressed me. Yeah. Um, when when I listened to a few of those takes, uh, I was like, wow, wow, okay, that that is a completely different valid take on that. Cool. You don't yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> his that final you know big big scene like where, with the reveal with the with the yeah. villain and the the hostage taking and all that and i mean just so good he was just right in the pocket with that one he was yeah. talk about splitting the the difference between peter laurie and jack Palance. that's a fine <laughs> fine line that he managed to split there yeah <laughs> that's great uh and so that's uh, I mean, your kids are in there. Uh, I, I don't want to forget anyone in the cast. I should have had the entire cast list in front of me. But well, so here, like, uh, <laughs> while we're on the subject of my of my kids, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's great having kids around the house because this means that every show we do, I get to think of a way to use them. And I like we did um, we did a, a, a stage show a few years back where I had uh, my oldest Spencer be a newsboy, and I decided that. Um, Every time we do a radio show, I'm going to put a newsboy in there somewhere, even if it doesn't really fit at even all. Even if it doesn't belong? Well, in a noir detective show, oh, it fits nap. perfectly. Perfectly. Because, you know, newspaper was still a viable media back right. then, right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, extra, extra. Extra, extra. Boxer disappears after fight, probably running from the mob. Extra, extra. Right. And and honestly, my my favorite work of my younger son Duncan was his work as Young Beji. Uh, oh, right. I, I thought was was great. And what's great is it's unexpected, and so people, it's just all of a sudden, like, oh, it's Young Beji. You know, right. You're doing a flashback of I think approximately seven to ten year flashback. Something like that. And he's all of a sudden a five year old. What's the case, Fred? Can't tell you, Beji. They're paying extra for extra confidentiality. Let's just call him Family Q. Let's do the old Family Q. Yes. Uh, and it's it's great. Also, playing uh, Beji's partner, uh, Chris Seiler, also did that role, I think. I forget the character's name off the top of my head. But... Uh, Fred Schmitz. Schmitz. <laughs> which, which every single person had trouble pronouncing. Fred Schmitz. 
You're under arrest. That's so great. Uh, yes, your kids, hopefully, and uh, the the newsboy makes an appearance in Mega Balls. Absolutely. Uh, does he make an appearance in our next production? <laughs> Again, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a newsboy in every every production. everything there's everything. Be, there's gonna be a thug number one in every. <laughs> Somewhere in there, Michael's going to say, get in there, you. And I'll be probably playing a bartender in probably every, I think I play, I play a bartender in both productions you right do. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, there, there is, there is, oh, there's no bartender, but there is a waiter in the next, in the next group. So somewhere in there. Somewhere I'll get in, yes. Uh, well, that was uh, a lot of fun talking about that. I don't know if anyone has something in their head that they want to discuss further about this. Uh we kind of already hit. I was gonna hit our favorite scenes. If uh, Beji, do you have any? Uh, we mentioned the fight scene already. I mentioned the love scene already. Uh, when you listen back, uh, Jose, was there a was there a, anything you listened to where you thought, "Man, I really nailed that," or that scene came out so great? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and I was trying uh, trying to think back over the entire production. I. There were several times where I would just lose it as I was doing a take um, <laughs> where something would just catch me right, you know, just the right way it would set me off because uh, basically the recording sessions were all about um, like, OK, let's get these words in here, you know, and that was my main focus. So there wasn't a lot of uh, a lot of messing around. But then every once in a while, Joe would serve me up a little like here, here, have fun with that. And, and um, there was a line that uh, Beji was describing somebody as anxious as something. And for oh, and like, you had uh, to fill in the blank. Uh, yeah, kind of. He had he had a specific line, but I decided like, okay, I'm gonna fuck around with this. And I'll give some different options. Right, 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 right. And for like about three minutes, I just kind of freely associated, but you know, to the point where as sanctions as a poodle at a ice cream tasting contest, something along those lines, made no sense. But before, because it made no sense, I just lost it. I was like, I said, I I sent that clip in to Joe just to see if he. If he appreciated me losing my mind. <laughs> if I, I might have to check the archives. If I can find that clip, I will pause our video and play that over top of us right here. Cool. It was Daisy Marzetti, and she looked as anxious as a pink-haired French poodle at an ice cream convention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see if it happens. Let's, let's, let's come back from that laughing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 that was a good one. Oh. All right. So I wanted to thank you guys for sitting around talking beigey with me. That was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Uh, Joe, I'm going to bring you front and center here to discuss what DBP Radio Theater is up to next. If you could let, let us know, let the you public know, know. They're clamoring for more radio theater. Oh, the clamor. Uh, <laughs> I have I, I a number of things in the pipeline. Um, the the next thing we're about to go into production on is is called the 99s and it is about uh the group of female fighter of aviators pilots, yeah uh founded by amelia Earhart and her contemporaries um and it's just it's a lot of fun where uh these these women pilots are are facing off against nazis uh and we have just an incredible uh lineup of talented actors uh to, to do that um, and then at the, after that, the thing that I have that I'm, you know, I'm starting to work on writing is, uh, the next Beji, uh, piece, which is called, uh, Beji PI in a corpse too far. And, oh, uh, yeah. Is um, that, uh, is a corpse too far? Is that a new original written only for the radio type of a production or is that, it, uh, it is, it's, 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 it's very kind of based on a short story that I wrote uh, that was also adapted into a comic book, but that was just like one small scene. And this is then basically filling in. the. So you have like the, uh, like the bones of it and you're going to really, yeah. I really, it's like, I have like the, like one metatarsal. Okay. And, and you, and you cloned it from that. That's, it. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. All right. So we've got a lot more uh, radio theater to look forward to here. 
from Disgruntled Bit Players Radio Theater. Jose, thank you for joining us today as well. Joe, appreciate you. Love your uh, the writing and the work that we've gotten to do together. It's been a ton of fun. Absolutely. And uh, after every one of these productions, we're going to do a little bit after show. So coming up in the near future, we'll be doing a uh, talking balls about uh, mega balls. That'll be cool. so. I wanted to say thanks to everybody for listening. But please, now we're going to do something we don't do, and that's try to actually promote ourselves. So. <laughs> Uh, we need to hire a marketing department so people will actually uh, listen. Please go subscribe to us anywhere that podcasts are given out, like iTunes, for instance. Maybe even click a few stars for us if you find us worthy. Uh, you know, we could use some followers on Twitter, at DBP Sketch. You can find us on Instagram at DBP underscore Sketch. And uh, we would love to to have you along for the for the ride for the rest of the things we put out there. Uh, but until next time, uh, for Jose Amador, for Joe Walk, for Megan Joplin, I'm Keith Marsteller, and uh, we'll see you again soon.